Today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about leading through adversity. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David and July is almost over and August is almost here, which means September. Don't you say it. Isn't here. No. No. Is summer your favorite holiday? I mean holiday. Yes, is summer your favorite holiday? I do love the holiday. Is summer your summer. favorite season? Yes, it is. Is it really? Yeah. I wow. love the warmth. Okay. But I, I love the... What's better than the warmth of a fire with a blanket wrapped around you in the middle of winter? Well, that's nice too, but um, unfortunately around here, that last, if that lasted like two weeks during Christmas, I'd love it. It lasts too long. No, summer's my favorite holiday, man. I love, I love being outdoors. I love the sun. I love... Um, Fall, you can go outdoors in the fall. The sun I, is still here in the fall. I love waking up Keep going. and the sun's up early and then it stays out late. And I, I just, yeah, I love I love the summer, man. I doubt any of our listeners agree with you. I like going for runs in like 95 degree okay, heat. Okay, now you've lost us. I saw a dude running through our neighborhood the other day on a super hot, humid day in a hoodie. Wow. Yeah. That's asking to be killed. And he didn't even look like he was remotely uncomfortable. Really? I didn't see a bit of... I wonder if he's a droid. <laughs> it's probably a that's robot. The only, that's the only explanation. Yeah. I mean, I ran the other day, and I, I almost died. And I've I was seen you run. You don't look like you're running. You look like you're slowly well dying, actually. I I am I am yeah. If I if I keep going too far, I, I I'm sure I would just drop over. But yeah, no, I love the summer. I love the summer. Well, August is kind of fun because the New York State Fair will be back, and, yeah. and we didn't get to go last year. And I'm looking forward to that. We'll have to talk maybe in our August episodes about some of our favorite fair. Oh foods. yeah, baby. I can already tell you what mm. it is, but yes, yes, me love it. Well, I hope you have a great summer if you're listening to this and. Um, if you're listening to this, you are having a great summer. You are. It got better now. It got <laughs> really much better now. Um, actually, our listenership probably goes up because everyone's mowing their lawn in the summer. So that's right. Yep. Um, not much listening to podcasts while you're shoveling snow. It seems. No, that's not quite the same. <laughs> you're too angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited. If you if you listen to our last podcast, we started talking about some leadership lessons that we learned from the book of Nehemiah, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, hopefully, it's a benefit to you. But we wanted to kind of keep in the same vein for this episode and talk to you about some of the things we talk a lot of leadership but sometimes we fail to understand and realize that so much of the bible has leadership lessons for us as well it's Mm -hmm. not just ethical teachings or sermon great sermon material it's also we can learn a lot about leading people from the bible and so we want to dive back into that vein so dave get us started a little bit introduce our topic for today yeah so we're going to continue to look at nehemiah and today we're going to talk about the idea that leaders endure adversity And, you know, leadership is kind of become like this sexy thing in our world where it's like there's lots of books written, podcasts, magazines, everybody wants to be a leader. But, you know, when people tell me they want to be a leader, a lot of times I think, well, I hope you're ready to suffer Mm. because um, leadership can be lonely. Uh, Leadership puts a target on your back. There's a saying, heavy lies the crown, which is um, a quote from a Shakespeare play where he says, "Uneasy, uneasy lies the head that wears a crown and the and the basic idea being like if you're going to be a leader there's going to be a weight to that leadership and a burden to it and i think you know adversity is inevitable if you're trying to do something meaningful right and leadership there's a lot of ways to define leadership but one way is leadership is basically moving a group of people on a journey from one place to another 
yeah. or from one reality to another. The challenge being that there's a lot of people who don't see the need to move, right? Mm-hmm. There's people who might not see the value of where you're headed. They can't catch the vision. There's people who they're okay with the journey, but they don't agree with how the journey's happening. Yeah. They argue with your strategy, basically. There's other people who are fine with the journey and they're fine with the strategy. They just don't like who's on the journey with them. Mm. And so now as a leader, you're trying to create unity or people who don't like their role in the journey from here to there, or they're just looking for someone to blame when the journey doesn't go well. And when things don't go well, who do we blame? We blame leaders. We see this in politics. Uh, we see this in sports, right? I mean, if you want to be LeBron James... And be the guy who's you know winning championships, great. But when his teams lose, he takes all he takes all the criticism. It seems like right, and so this is just part of leadership. And uh, you know what do you, what have you experienced or seen as it relates to just the inevitability of adversity when you're trying to lead? Yeah, I think I think like you said, leadership is in a lot of ways about charting, going in uncharted territory, and. Um, taking people in a, in a place and a direction that maybe they've never gone. And therefore that means friction. That means challenges. That means, and if we're honest with ourselves as leaders, we don't, we don't oftentimes know exactly what we're doing or have the best skill sets at the time to speak for yourself. (laughs) Some of us are super prideful and we think we know everything. I mean, I'm not just saying one of us at the table, but, (laughs) So what that does is it's going to create adversity. It's going to create friction. It's going to create like the, like you said, it's going to, it's taking people to a new place. If you want to stay the same, you don't want adversity, then yeah, just stay, do exactly the same thing. And, um, the adversity will eventually be when everything falls apart around you. But, um, (laughs) if you're going to lead people effectively, get ready. Yeah. And change always feels like loss. And so when you're leading people into change, it feels like you're leading them into loss and people are going to push back on that. And, I guess one of the things I want to say up front is if you are a leader or if you're interested in leadership or you you envision yourself being a leader in the future, please don't go into it because you think you're going to make people like you or make people follow you or even make people happy. Bill Kirk says, if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader. Sell ice cream. <laughs> yeah. And leadership is not a path to making people happy. In fact, if you're, if you, if everyone around you is happy, you're probably not actually leading very well. You're probably not making hard decisions and you're probably not making people uncomfortable and moving them forward. And so in in Nehemiah, his big task is to lead a team to rebuild the walls and gates of a city, which seems like, well, who couldn't get on board with that? Like back then, if a city didn't have walls and gates, they had no identity and they had no security. Like this was an absolute necessity. And yet in chapters three, um, or sorry, in chapters four, five, and six, Nehemiah encounters all kinds of adversity. And surprisingly enough, it's not just from without, some of it's from within. Mm. And so when we look at these chapters, there's these external threats because the the Jews are surrounded. Jerusalem is surrounded, the Samaritans to the north, uh, there's, there's Ammonites to the east, other people to the south and to the west. None of them want this to succeed because they don't want the Jewish people to get strong again. They don't want them to, you know, build back up. And so they attack from outside with mocking threats and, and questions, and or sorry, mocking questions and threats. At first it's just verbal, then it escalates to, we're going to come and attack you and tear your, your garbage wall down. So he's got these external threats. But then he also has these internal threats because the people of Judah are beginning to complain and get tired. And if you're a leader, there's always going to be times where people on your team are like, why are we doing this? And when are we going to do something different? And they begin to believe what the enemy was saying about them. And so he had to deal with that. Then 
he, it switched to external traps where the, his enemies were trying to trap him, saying, come have a meeting with us, let's be buddies. But they actually wanted to do harm to him or yeah. make it look like he was in cahoots with them. And then there was actually uh, an internal trap where there was a prophet, a Jewish prophet named Shemaiah, who tried to lure him into coming into the temple and sleeping there to be safe, which would have been a... At least he would have been seen as a coward, but but really the issue was he was probably disregarding or breaking the law because Nehemiah was not a priest. Mm. Uh, some people even think he was a eunuch because he served in the Persian courts, which means um, basically he had been, you know, I don't yeah. know emasculated. Is he that the right w- word? So he wouldn't be a risk to the yeah. So he wouldn't be yeah. A lot of times the people the would wives work in of the king. Yeah, a lot of people that would have access to the wives of the kings, they would cause them to be. Is emasculated the right word? I mean, castrated. Castrated. That's the word. I, although I'm sure it's very emasculating as well. <laughs> that definitely <laughs> will do the job. <laughs> he was. He may have been. We don't know this for sure, but he may even have been. Which people who had had that happen to them were not allowed to go into the the temple. Mm. So anyway, you have all these different forms of adversity coming at Nehemiah from without and within. And in leadership, I think sometimes we're very alert to the dangers out there. Yeah. But a lot of times, haven't you seen that the the greatest dangers are are inside of us or inside of our teams? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's absolutely true. Knowing our own motivations, like um, the the interesting one that you just referenced with the the priest inviting him to come in. It's like knowing knowing your own heart and the temptations that draw you, whether it's comfort or you know getting out of difficult situations or whatever the things that our heart are drawn towards. That's our biggest issue first and foremost we got to know the pitfalls that come there and um and and i think you're right the the dangers that are already inside the walls to use the nehemiah metaphor are the most dangerous and the easiest to destroy us so we got to start there then work our way out but to your point oftentimes we don't oftentimes we we focus on the outside everyone else is is the primary issue yeah and in this particular situation this is someone he probably felt like he should have been able to trust yeah and um the truth is, is sometimes the adversity, certainly the most painful adversity that you'll experience in leadership is when someone that you should be able to trust is is trying to do you harm. Yeah. Right? Not, and, it, and it will happen. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you tried to harm me? I've been trying week? to undermine your leadership as lead pastor for three <laughs> years since you took over. It's still, still to no avail, but I'm not giving up. Well, that's a great lesson right there on endurance itself. <laughs> <laughs> so there's four things that Nehemiah does that I just wanted to, oh, we were going to talk about. And the first thing that he does in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, I won't read it to you, but, and I love this about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, every time he comes up against something, he's, so Nehemiah is very pragmatic. He's one of the most pragmatic characters in scripture. He, he's not, he's not a wishful thinker. He's not a theoretical hypothetical, like he gets stuff done. He's that type of leader, yep. but he always prays. Mm-hmm. Like he always prays first, and I think uh, what we see is that Nehemiah endures adversity here by praying and planning. Both of those things together, Nehemiah fought his battles through prayer. For him, prayer was his first response, not his last resort. And you probably have heard that before, but it's such a good reminder that like whether you're dealing with adversity in the church world or if you're dealing with adversity in the business world. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, instead of like lashing out or, or trying to fight back or try to defend ourselves, our first response should be, let's pray. I'm, I'm going to take this to prayer. And that act of prayer is, is saying, God, I, I know that I can trust you and I know that I need your help. So Nehemiah prays, but it says specifically in verse nine, we pray to our God, we played, sorry, 
We prayed to our God. This is when they thought they were going to be attacked. We prayed to our God and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So I love this, that Nehemiah doesn't just pray. He also puts a plan together. And and what are the dangers of maybe Christians or anyone really just embracing one of those two things without the other? Just say like, oh, we're just going to pray. Forget about the plan. God's got this. We, you know, he's in control. Or people just say like, all right, let's just go ahead and plan. And they forget to pray. Yeah, I think it's too, like, one in one perspective, we say it's all his responsibility and none of mine, mm-hmm. right? So it, that's the just pray with no plan. Yeah. And and that is a really... It's like fatal. It's really like fatalism, right? It's it's not really Christianity. No. Yeah, at, at the very least, it's bad theology. The yeah. idea that he's made you in his image, the idea that he's given you creative ability to... to um, out of chaos, bring order, mm. which is what ultimately God does, but he's made us to be able to do the same thing. So he's He's created us to do that. So to deny that and to say, it's all you, no me, is, to I think, a really bad theology, and it's just not understanding how God's made us. But then the other one is um, is a total, um, a total pride mm. and uh, lack of real humility. It says on my best day, I'm I'm ultimately not in control, and that this is bigger than myself and is beyond me. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen this on Twitter, which is the angriest social media platform in the world, in my I opinion. Love, I probably have. I'm I'm on there about seven eight hours a day. <laughs> when there's a tragedy in the world, or or um, somebody loses a loved one, a lot of times you'll have uh, people who reply and say, you know, I'm praying. You're in our prayers and thoughts. And then because Twitter is such so nasty, then someone has to jump in and go, you know, what good are your prayers or keep your prayers or like you guys keep praying and we'll do something. Right. And I think sometimes and maybe fairly in some circumstances, there is a critique of people of faith like, you know, people are starving around the world. Uh, we'll pray for them. And James, actually, if, if I remember correctly, talks about this in his epistle. He, he mm-hmm. says, like, what good is it? Like if someone comes hungry and you say, go on your way and be blessed but you don't feed them or give them and they're naked. You don't give them clothes. Like, right. so I, I think one of the things that we have to learn, I remember reading about this in, um, in a book. I'm trying to remember which, who wrote it. There's a great book I read on prayer. It's not Keller's Keller's written a good book on prayer, but there was one before that. I'll, I'll find it. You sure it wasn't my sermon notes I sent you? Um, what sermon notes? Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, this idea that prayer does not lead to passivity. Hmm. But prayer is partnership, and 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 we pray, we pray so that we can have God's perspective and His heart. But then it doesn't end there. Once we get God's perspective and His heart, we then can move into action, partnering with seeing God's kingdom. So we don't just pray, "Let Your kingdom come and let Your will be done." We're also willing to say, "God, where am I in this?" And how does prayer move us into not passivity? but move us into activity. Yeah. So Nehemiah is a prayer and a planner. I'm looking real quick on Amazon for that book, but I cannot find it. It was a great book on prayer. So good. Yeah. So sounds, good. You would love reading it. Sounds great. <laughs> so much that you forgot the title. Yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe like Keller's book, the title is just simply prayer. I think it is prayer, but I can't find it. Anyway, yeah. I'll find it. Um, the, second thing that we see from Nehemiah here in this portion is that Nehemiah deals with adversity by looking back and looking forward. He, you know, the people of the people in Jerusalem, they're a little bit traumatized because think about their history. You know, they, they went through a terrible civil war. 
you know, hundreds of years before. They got dragged off into exile. They're still under the control of the Persian rulers. And yeah. now all these other enemies around them are trying to attack them. So there's a lot of fear, and they don't have a finished city. <laughs> so they're very exposed. And Nehemiah calls them together, and he says, don't be afraid of the enemy. And then he says, remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And he's saying, think back to all the things God has done. God sent me here from Persia with the blessing of the king, actually with a military escort and with permission to use all of his timber and lumber in his forest. Like, it's like, you think God is going to do X, Y, and Z and then let us fail here. So Nehemiah looks back, but then he also does something where he looks forward and he says, let's be, let's be ready to fight for our brothers, our sons, our daughters, our wives, and our homes. And some of them didn't have homes yet. You know, some of them mm. had future sons and future daughters yet to be born. And he was casting this vision. So what Nehemiah does in this moment is he looks back and he looks forward. And as leaders, when we face adversity, we have to be able to do this. We have to look back and say, here's what God has done. He's brought us this far. He's not going to let us fail now. And also, here's what God will do. So this sense of like looking back leads us into gratitude and trust and confidence. But looking forward leads us into hope and passion and energy that says, the greatest things are ahead of us. Greater yeah. things are are yet to come. And when you've come up against things in your leadership, whether it was discouragement, seasons where you felt ineffective, just feeling outshined by your podcast co-host, uh, <laughs> whatever it might be, right, right. how have how has looking back to what God has done in your life, while also looking forward to what you feel like God wants you to do, how does it get you through adversity? Yeah, I think it's a real question, and the. Sto- when I read the Nehemiah story, what I find so interesting is, and you just explained it, is those people that were looking back, they weren't looking back on even an experience they had. Hmm. They, You're talking hundreds and hundreds of years since anyone, a, any Jews were even in that city living the way that they're now trying to rebuild it, right? So yeah. it's not like they had been there. All they had known was born into slavery and born into, into terrible situations. So... Um, the picture that Nehemiah paints and the reminder of the promises that sure. God had made them, that, th- that they had been passed down by being told stories in, in the oral culture is what they were relying on. And so for me, I can kind of connect to that because um, for me, it was always looking back on the promise of God in my life, right? Like, so as a leader, if I'm in the place that I really feel like God's called me to, when I'm in the middle of adversity, ultimately, that's what I can fall back on is... Mm. Did God call me here? Does mm-hmm. God want me to be in this place? And and if I've and if I've sorted that answer out before I start, once adversity hits, I can rest back on that. Because I feel like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. This is I'm a failure. This is terrible. I can go, yeah, but I know this is where God called me. And if this is where He's called me, to your point, like to to, to the example you gave in Nehemiah, right? If He's given us all this timber and all this wood and the, and the the escort from the king. If he's done all that, then he's going to work out the future, hmm. which is stuff we can't see. And so for me, that's that's what I try to do is look back to that promise of God. And if I'm where God wants me, then he's going to bring the fruit that I can't see right now. Yeah, that's so good. And I think that um, being able to remind this is this we've talked about this before, but being able to preach the gospel to your own heart. In the midst of adversity, right? First Samuel chapter 30, David, the worst day of his life, his wives and his children have been taken captive by the enemies. So have his all of his men. The men now want to kill David. And it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. And I think he must have in that moment been reminding himself, like, God, you took me out of a 
the field of being a shepherd boy. You helped me defeat the giant. You've spared me from this murderous king. You've done all these things for me. Like, my story does not end here. Yep. And I do think, like, we have to, as leaders, this might sound overly dramatic, but it's true. We have to avoid the trap of thinking, like, adversity will end us. Or that this hard season will be our final season, yeah. our final chapter. Because ultimately, God is writing our story, right? So we trust him with that. But how many times can we look back in our lives and say that we've come through adversity and we've still, on the other side of that, we can look back and see seasons of tremendous joy and success and fruitful ministry and fruitful work. And so, like, as simple as it sounds, not giving up because mm-hmm. we can look back and we can look forward. Yeah, definitely. All right, so Nehemiah, he responds by planning and praying, by looking back and looking forward. And the third thing is that Nehemiah responds with wisdom and truth. And um, what happens is is that some of his enemies start sending him these invitations to a meeting. Hey, come meet with us, and we're not going to harm you. We, we just like, man, we really respect what you're doing. And Nehemiah has this wisdom to know, like, these guys are not looking out for me. Mm. And he says to them, he sends them a message back and says, I am doing a great work. I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? And one of the things I love about Nehemiah is his wisdom of knowing what matters most. Mm. One of the things that good leaders do is that in adversity, in adversity, they can keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. And the main thing is never just the adversity. The main thing is actually not change. It's the mission, right? Yep. And it would be so easy to, for Nehemiah to have made the main thing his enemies, but he didn't. The main thing for him was it's the work that God's called me to do, so I'm not going to do this. I remember reading an interview with Steve Jobs from Apple who said he was more proud of the things that they didn't make than the things that they did make. He was mm. so proud of the things they said no to. And that's hard as a leader, right? To keep the main thing, the main thing, especially in adversity, when your emotional margins are, are thin, when you're worn down, when you're weary, like finding within you God's wisdom to know in the midst of this difficult season, you know, you, you and I have walked through seasons where we've had family members who are sick, suffering, dying. How do you still move forward, right? Yeah. How do you continue to do that work, the wisdom of knowing what matters most in this season? And uh, so he does that. And what's remarkable is that they continue to attack him. They send a fifth letter, and this letter is an open letter. It's like a public letter. Letter. The other ones are private, and this one's filled with all kinds of rumors, like you're going to do this, you're going to rebel against Persia. And I love Nehemiah just speaks up so bluntly, says, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. <laughs> Sounds like listening to, to our children fight with each other. <laughs> yeah, basically. And I love this because Nehemiah realizes there's no truth here and he has the wisdom to know when to be willing and bold in speaking the truth now what have you learned like in leadership as it relates to there are times when you be or when you are being attacked where you need to step up and speak truth and defend yourselves but also when we look at jesus there are times where he was terrible things were said about him and he didn't defend himself how do leaders navigate when to speak up and when not to yeah this is a tough one because man there's a lot of temptation to for, depending on your personality, there's a lot of temptation to speak up and defend yourself. Um, and then for others that maybe are conflict avoiders, there's a temptation to never speak up and defend yourself when you should, right? Because mm. so I think I think the idea of you you mentioned the mission being the main thing. And I think that's that's really the key to understanding this is 
when the mission is at stake, when the mission is being attacked, the mission is worth defending. And so I'm going to defend what we're doing and what, how I'm leading because the mission matters and is so important. But um, if I'm just trying to defend myself because my motivation is I want the approval of people or my motivation is pride, I don't want people to think I'm an idiot or don't know what I'm doing, um, and um, and oftentimes the defending of yourself can actually deflect or detract mm. from the mission. That becomes the new main thing. Yeah, becomes your personal mission, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I so I think um, I think we've got to measure that out, and 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 a good guide for that, a good gauge for that is just checking your own hearts, right? It's like what what was the motivation for me to confront this or mm-hmm. to stand up against this? Yeah. If you're in leadership to build a reputation, this would be really difficult to navigate, right? And I struggle with this, and I think all leaders probably do. But, you know, the question that you're saying is, like, we have to be willing to ask ourselves. I mean, first off, good leaders are willing to say, is there any truth in this attack, in this criticism? Yeah. Because even if the person's motivations are wrong, they may have an observation that's actually useful for you, right? And so you have to be willing to say, like, what is true, even if it's 5% truth? Right. How can how can this help me grow? But then does the, as you were saying, not to restate it, but does the mission or the work that God has called me to do, does it need me to defend myself right now? Or am I defending myself for my sake? So is it about me or is it about the mission? And then good leaders also take the time to ask, how should I continue the work in the midst of this adversity? Yeah. And what does that look like? And so, um, but never make defending yourself your primary work. Because God will defend you. And we see this, that Nehemiah has all this wisdom and truth. And, and then with the whole thing we mentioned earlier with Shemaiah, this, this prophet, or was it a prophet? Yeah, prophet or priest who tries to trick Nehemiah into coming to the temple. He says, I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had been hired by my enemies. Mm. <laughs> Tobiah and Sanballat, who are these, uh, Tobiah, or Sanballat, I think, was it a Samaritan governor? And Tobiah, I don't remember. But they had hired Shemaiah to give this false prophecy to try to intimidate him and make him sin so that they could accuse him and discredit him. And Nehemiah has this tremendous wisdom. And when we're in adversity, we need wisdom and we need discernment. And we need to know, like, sometimes when you're in adversity, what I've learned is everyone feels like an enemy and everything feels like an attack. And you need to be able to say, like, God, give me the wisdom and discernment to know, like, what do I need to fight against and what is actually not part of the problem right now and God will help us to do that I always think of Solomon in the Old Testament who you know was going to become this king of this growing nation yeah. and God said anything you want I'll give it to you and all he asked for was wisdom yeah and then he ended up with a thousand wives but that's a whole other story <laughs> it doesn't seem very wise to no, me, it doesn't. something didn't like, something I, didn't quite work out I, there. I can barely manage one I can't imagine a thousand but yeah God well, bless. I guess, I guess when you have that much wisdom, you maybe can handle more. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. He definitely, he, the irony of his life, I guess, is that he definitely uh, did not always exercise that wisdom. Yeah. So I guess there's a difference between having wisdom and exercising wisdom. Yeah. I do think, too, there's something about being in the midst of adversity and looking for easy outs. Mm. So you talked about discernment in the other sense of questioning everybody's your enemy. But it's interesting, Nehemiah's discernment actually... Uh, like the, it would have been tempting to go, oh, thank God, at least I have an ally here. And here's an easy out, right? Come into the temple. He's inviting me in. But his discernment even allow, even checked him from, from that. Hmm. And so, I, and I think both of us agreed, like discernment like that, and this is why we talked about the beginning part, which is the pray 
and plan, mm-hmm. discernment like that only comes from the pray part, which yeah. is going, God, I need, I need, I need your wisdom. It's not wisdom that I can just c- create. Uh, you know, I, I need wisdom, wisdom that comes from you. And so without that pray part, I got to imagine Nehemiah is not going to have the, the wisdom to be able to discern. Well, and sometimes the easy way out nowadays for us is um, when we're when we're going through adversity, when we're really struggling, you know, to to bury ourselves in Netflix or eat an uh, entire eat, sheet yeah, cake from eat, Costco. That sounds like a very specific example. Wait, what? <laughs> Did you do that? <laughs> we need wisdom to be able to even identify when our own behavior is just our effort to yeah. avoid and escape. So. Um, all right, and the last thing and, and most important thing that we see in these chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, I didn't say much about 5, but in 5, there was all this internal conflict about how they were going to care for the poor. Um, but um, Nehemiah consistently gives his adversity to God. Like, he confronts it, and he does what he can to deal with it, but he knows that ultimately God fights his battles for him. And, and, and repeatedly in these two chapters, it says things like, we knew that God frustrated them. Like, mm-hmm. he, it was him who did it. When they, th- then they would yell out, our God will fight for us. And at the very end of chapter 6, when, they're, when they are summarizing all this conflict and all this adversity, he, he's speaking of all the enemies. He said, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And when I read that verse, I thought, would people look at the work I do and go, that had to be the help of God. <laughs> And, you know, or they go, well, he's a, he's a good leader. I think leader. about that when I look at your wife. I'm like, there's no way that he would be able to snag Aaron without God just blinding her for a little bit, you know? Well, you aren't wrong there. <laughs> no argument there. Um, but Nehemiah knew that his battle, as the as we're taught in the New yeah. Testament, is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle, and that God fights his battles. And in these chapters, we see that God is attentive, he's powerful, he's holy, he's sovereign, he doesn't fail, and he fights for us. And I think sometimes leaders, when they're being attacked, this happens a lot with pastors. You know, pastors are leading people who don't appreciate their leadership or questioning them, attacking them, saying they're not good at this, not good at that, like... Just remember, like, God fights our battles, and, yeah. and uh, we can trust him. You know, I mean, ultimately, Jesus, of course, won the battle that matters most for all of us. And if we can rest in that, we can really trust God with these adver- the adversity that comes our way as leaders. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important to remember, too, because in leadership, and, and it, you know, we have this idea of success, right, of, like, this is what success would look like. And, and so if you're, if you're a pastor, success looks like, consistently growing this healthy, thriving church, which then we hand off in this ceremonial way and we ride off in the sunset and we, you know, it's just like, but uh, there's so many stories and so many accounts of people who loved and served Jesus and were great leaders. That's not how it ended for them. Mm -hmm. So success, like we got to be careful and not mix our picture of success with God's picture of success. And we have to be humble and faithful to what he's called us to do even if we don't always see the fruit that we want to see. And we can't allow, attach our identity to anything other than the gospel. Because at the end of the day, if you get to your life and go, man, I wasn't perfect, but I, I did everything I could to faithfully do what God's called me to do. And in the midst of adversity, I didn't quit and I was faithful to it. Like, you don't know how God's using what you're doing right now. You don't know how God's changing the people that you're affecting right now. And maybe you don't see it, but man, 
you you will someday, you know, mm-hmm. as long as you don't give up, just keep being faithful, keep pursuing him and uh, and keep finding your identity and and who Jesus is. Yeah, that's so good. One of my favorite sayings as it relates to what you're talking about is I think it was George Wood who um a former superintendent of the Assemblies of God who said if you are um if you're reaping without sowing, then somebody already did. Yeah. And if you're sowing without reaping, then someone eventually will. Yeah. And a lot of times we forget that God didn't just start fighting battles for you today. Like mm. God has been fighting battles for his people for all of time. Yep. And will continue until the end of time. And he, he doesn't lose. Like by his definition and by the definition of the kingdom advancing, God doesn't lose these battles. I mean, it doesn't mean it always goes our way. And it certainly doesn't mean that life and leadership is easy. I mean, that's been the whole point of this podcast. Leadership yeah. is hard. It's terrible. It can be extremely lonely. I mean, there are times where any leader is honest. They would say, I, I, I would be pretty happy to pack it in and like mm. do something else where there's not this sort of like uh, target on me or this sort of weight upon my shoulders. But leaders, God, I believe, creates and develops leaders for the weight of leadership but these biblical principles from Nehemiah will help us navigate them in healthy ways, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. If I'm honest, I can't tell you how many times I think to myself, I would have, I would much rather just be independently a millionaire, maybe a billionaire, have a yacht, just spend my time traveling around, doing the beaches. I mean, I, I think that all the time. Is that an option for you? Well, not really, but, you know, <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe one day when you make it big and share some of your money with me. Anyway, I hope this has been a benefit to you guys. Before we close, we know what you're waiting for. It's a little portion that we like to do called David's Eats. Um, Not only better leaders here, but better eaters. And so, uh, David, we've got got summertime. We're still here, even though September's coming. Yep. Um, And what I'm interested to know, traditionally, you're not a a sweets guy. Mm -hmm. However... First of all, tell me your feeling. Are you a fan of s'mores? I like s'mores. I'm not like, I don't love s'mores. And okay. we do s'mores in our backyard quite a bit because we have a little fire pit. Okay. So here, here's my question. And maybe this is a little weak depending on your answer. Do you have, do you ever do creative s'mores where you do a little something different? And if so, what does it look like? I, I don't, but... Or, I, or design your perfect. Yeah. Design your perfect. I love more. So it would probably be some sort of like the chocolate would be not a Hershey bar, which is, I mean, it might be great for s'mores, but let's be honest, the Hershey bar is not a great. No, if you got nothing else, if you got yeah. nothing else, it's fine. But so something dark, not dark, dark, but some something a little darker, like a dark chocolate would probably okay. like some peanut butter inside it. Yeah, and yeah. then maybe instead of marshmallow, just some fluff. <laughs> <laughs> what you know, like the fluff, fluff. The, I wonder the fluff what that you would, put on I sandwiches. What that would turn into just, just, just wipe that fluff right on the graham cracker. Skip yeah. the whole marshmallow step. Now that's interesting. And then I kind of um, want to try that. What else would I like in there? Another thing, if I, if it didn't include peanut butter, or even with peanut butter, I wouldn't be opposed to something that like a hot honey. Oh, like something that spicy, adds a little yeah. more sweetness, but a little like a little yeah. heat too. How about a how about a cinnamon graham cracker instead of a plain? That'd be fine. I mean, there's tr- also there's probably all kinds of other chocolate graham crackers. And- my wife just got cinnamon graham crackers from Trader Joe's. Oh boy! Oh my goodness, they're pretty amazing. I think we know what we're doing tonight. Yep, yep. <laughs> we're making this weird s'more. That have you, you made described. a Have you made a weird over the top s'more? Yeah, I mean, I like. I've a couple of times I've done like peanut butter cups on it, which I really love. The yeah. chocolate peanut butter with the. 
Um, and then I've done, you know, what one I think would be interesting is a, a mint chocolate. Like if you did, um, what are the, what are the ones there? The Andy's chocolates, the, the Andy's chocolates or, um, I'm not a big mint chocolate guy. No, you're not. No. I don't love it, but I think it would be interesting to try. Yeah. So, you know what, you know, what would be good is like two, two pieces of bread and some meat and cheese oh. in between them. Right. And then don't even use an open fire. Just right. like, just and also like nothing use sweet a, on it. Use like a panini press. A panini, okay. Yeah. And then slice it diagonally. <laughs> that's, Wait, a, that's a great s'more. That's a good s'more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, go enjoy s'more on us tonight, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.